We will be in this series uh, the next three weeks, all of December, until we take a little break called POV. And uh, honestly, I'm excited about this. I don't know if you'll be excited or not, but I think it'll be an interesting series because I, my heart behind this and my thought behind this is that so many times we talk about, uh, in church world, we talk about this, this battle, so to speak, that we're in, that God is who we're, we're trying to get people to be in a relationship with. God's fighting for our hearts. He wants to be in a relationship. And then we mention the enemy or Satan, but we don't really talk about him. And so the next three weeks, what I want to do is take three different points of view from the garden, Job, and Jesus and his temptation, and look at the way that Satan navigates with people. Because I think it's very good for us to know as we're in this battle, we're dealing with spiritual warfare, how does he work? I mean, if you were just to ask, like, okay, we know that there's Satan and he's trying to tear people away from Jesus, but if I were to ask you how does he work, what would your response be? We might not totally know because we've not taken a ton of time, and there's, there's honestly not usually a whole bunch of people that are giving messages on the enemy. And so I just want to kind of give these like case studies as we look at these different sections and go, okay, let's just look at all these scenes and see how Satan navigates. Let's pick up some things so that as we're in this battle, as we're starting to, to, to war against the enemy, we kind of know how he works. We kind of know how he moves. And so that's my goal the next three weeks is to look from his point of view and see how he navigates. Because to be honest with you, I think we often get in our mind this idea of a pitchforked, horned guy that's just trying to like be dumb. But Satan's very tricky. And I'm not here to like talk him up and give him credit, but he knows how to deceive. He's the father of lies. He knows how to get into our lives. He knows you very well. And I think sometimes we don't often give him the credit to how good he is in his deception and why we need to know how he works and how he moves to be alert because it says in, in, in 1 Peter, 2 Peter, one of the Peters, be alert because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for somebody to devour. Like he's brutal and he's coming for your heart and my heart because he knows that we want to pursue Jesus. We want to be in this relationship and he wants everything to do to get you away from Jesus. And so I just want to take a, a, a simple look in these three contexts and say, let's just read these verses and pick up some things that we see the enemy doing so that as we're navigating in our lives, if we start to see some things, we might know this not, might not be from God, but might be from the enemy. And so um, as we look at this, I was thinking this week when I started thinking of an idea as like a title, as POV, and I started to think about, I don't know if any of you ever get in your head uh, about different points of view, but if you don't have a child, I also have the other side of a dog, do you ever wonder what their point of view is like? Like I think sometimes with our dog, every time that I come home, he's sitting there staring out the window, not even moving. He's just sitting on the couch. You see him in the window and you go, I wonder what he's thinking from his point of view. I wonder what he's seeing from his point of view. Or like when he gets uh, the zoomies is what we call them, like in the evening or in the morning, like he just sprints around the house. Like what is his point of view? 
Like when he runs down the steps, literally like flings himself into the couch and then just sprints back up the steps and back down and in circles. Like, like what's their point of view like? Or just the other day, um, Friday, I think it was, Shannon went and got breakfast for her and Willow. And she pulls out the, the big breakfast from McDonald's and there's pancakes and all this stuff. And I just, I wonder from her perspective, she's sitting in her high chair and she just goes, oh, wow. It's like her perspective. It's like, what does she see that's like so exciting to her? Or like when, when she finds a toy in her room she hasn't found in a while and she's so excited. And like, or you take her out somewhere and like see Christmas lights or different things we've done with her before. And she's just so mesmerized. Like, do you ever wonder what it's like from people's point of view? Or maybe sometimes we also hear in either a disagreement or a discussion, like, I wonder what their point of view is. When something goes crazy, you know, we've had our disagreements and our arguments, and sometimes I try in my head to look from her point of view. What is she seeing? What is she thinking? What does her story have to do with why we're in a disagreement? And again, that's part of the reason, or part of the, the, the heart behind this is let's get behind the enemy's point of view and start to look at how he navigates with people. Because as we'll see here in Genesis chapter 3, the first spot we'll look at, he is very, very tricky. And I think once we begin to pick up some things, it'll be a little easier for us to fight against him. And so... In Genesis chapter 3, we're going to look at the first seven verses, a couple observations, and we'll be done. Um, I'm going to unpack this idea, it gets tricky. It gets tricky, because I think you'll see very, very clearly how Satan begins to trick, deceive, and lead us away from anything to do with God and anything in this relationship. So, probably most of us have heard this passage but we're going to read it through and then and look at some things. Now, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the creatures the Lord God had made. Really, he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat any of the fruit in the garden? Of course we may eat it, the woman told him. It's only the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God says we must not eat it or even touch it or we will die. You won't die, the serpent hissed. God knows that your eyes will be opened when you eat. You will become just like God, knowing everything, both good and evil. The woman was convinced the fruit looked so fresh and delicious and it would make her wise. So she ate some of the fruit. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Then he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover themselves. And so just so you understand, we're getting thrown into this passage a little bit. If you don't know the backstory, uh, God has just created the entire heavens and the earth. Everything is perfect. There is no sin at this moment, and they're in unity. The people are talking and walking with God. Everything is great. And then somebody enters the scene, the enemy. He comes on the scene, and I think we also have to understand that as we're navigating this, you might think, well, why did God even give the opportunity for them to sit? And I'm not going to get deep into different discussions, but I think at the very basic level, you need to understand God doesn't want a bunch of robots. There's this thing called free will that God gives us that He wants us to choose Him, not force, our, force us to choose Him. 
And so he leaves this this tree in the center and the enemy gets on the scene. And you've got to just imagine as he's on the scene, he's like, really? Really did God say you can't, you must not eat any of the fruit in the garden? So you got to see in his first kind of interaction with Adam and Eve, what he's doing is in some ways taking a little bit of truth, but totally twisting it so that you begin to believe it. The enemy isn't going to just write out, um, flatly lie, because you're probably going to go, if you're connected with God, if he goes, man, you should go kill that person. You're like, what? That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. I know I'm not supposed to do that. He's going to find a way to begin to start twisting what God said so that it is a lie, but it's not so easily kind of decipherable. You can't just be like, well, that's kind of outright wrong. It's like, well, he's not wrong because God said don't eat of the one tree. But I think he starts to plant that little footstep in Eve's mind because you see her answer. Of course we may eat it. It's only the fruit from the tree of the center of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And then she says, God says it must not. We must not eat it or even touch it or we will die. So it's like he starts to throw this big lie out there, but it gets her thinking. And I think in our lives, that's what he's going to start doing when it comes to his deception is that he's going to throw something out there totally twisted. Don't hear me say this is truth. It's that he starts to twist what God says so it kind of sounds true, but it's a lie. And he gets us thinking, is this really what God said? Because that's how he starts. Did God really say? Is this what came out of God's mouth? It's forcing them to see if they know what God said or not. And I think that's why it's so important in our relationship to know God's word and go know God's truth. Because if we don't, he's throwing these things that kind of look like God's truth. And then we begin to believe it. Because we're not totally sure on our own end what God's word says. And I think, again, it also helps us to see, to take our thoughts captive. This is a, th- a thought that floats by and maybe Satan puts, puts some thought there and you're like, well, is that true? I don't know. You have to be careful and know what the truth says because if you don't, you're going to find yourself in a situation where Satan's going to be like, I wonder if I can get them to believe this. I wonder if I can get them to turn their back on God. I wonder if I can get them to fall in this area because they don't totally know what's going on. He's tricky. He plays for the cheap shots. He's not trying to do something where he's like, I'm just going to outright try to do it. Maybe sometimes he is because you're just not following Jesus at all. But like especially people that are going after Jesus, I've learned this and I believe this in my heart. If you're pursuing Jesus with a full heart and you seem to continually keep getting attacked by the enemy, I would see that as a good sign. Because he knows you're pursuing Jesus and he wants everything to do to break that bond between you and Jesus. So he's going to come after you. He's going to come after you. And you've always got to be alert. You've always got to be looking through. Is that really what God said or is that not true at all? So that's kind of the first thing you begin to see is that he's skilled in his deception and he knows how to kind of twist the truth so that it kind of looks true, but if you really look at it, it's not true at all. God just told him the one tree. 
He didn't say they couldn't eat anything. It was just the one. So then he keeps going because he's like, well, I don't know if I can get them here. And so then he goes, God knows that your eyes will be opened when you eat it. You will become just like God, knowing everything, both good and evil. And I think the second thing or, or another tactic that the enemy uses is that he wants to give you FOMO. He wants you to have this fear of missing out that God is holding out on you. And the reason he's telling you you shouldn't do that is because he's holding out on you. You know, I wrestled a lot with that when I was growing up in high school. And, and many of us may have a story where we struggled with different things throughout high school. And it's like, well, why does God say we're not allowed to like have sex outside of marriage? Well, why does God say like we're not allowed to go to parties and get drunk all the time and get high? And like, why, why does God say that? Is he holding out on me? He knows it's too much fun and that, that he doesn't want me to have that much fun. It's like, that's how he begins to get in there. It's he's like, God's holding out on you. The reason he doesn't want you to is because you're going to know everything. You're going to know both good and evil. So as Eve spot, she's going, well, that could be a good thing. I could know now both good and evil, so why would he hold out on me? Why wouldn't he want me to eat the tree? Why wouldn't he want me to eat this fruit? And you begin to start feeling like maybe God is holding out on me. Maybe God doesn't know what's best. And so he's just trying to get me to not do this. And Satan gets you to feel that way, and it gets very, very difficult because you start to really wonder, maybe he's telling the truth. God is holding out. And I feel like Eve began to know this or start to feel this way because then the next sentence, the woman was convinced. Okay, so I plant this little deception in your life and kind of try to finagle it so it looks like truth, but it's not. So it gets her interest peaked. But then, then you got to know God's holding out on you. This is why he doesn't want you to eat it. She's like, that's it. He's got to be right. God wouldn't just tell me not to eat it for no reason. He doesn't want me to be all-knowing. I think what's very helpful, and I'm not going to go there if you ever want to read it, Ezekiel 28 is a passage that talks about the fall of Satan and how he was one of the most beautiful angels there was. He was such a beautiful angel. He had all this knowledge, so to speak, and his pride took over him, and he wanted to be God. He wanted to have all the knowledge. He wanted to know everything. So what's very interesting to me is that I think his story begins to play a part in this because now he's saying, you could know everything if you want to. And that was part of his problem is he wanted to know everything. And so he begins to deceive and he wants you to experience that. But I think one key thing to note in this passage, and you'll see in some other passages, Satan can't physically make you sin. It's not like he shoves the fruit in Eve's mouth and makes her eat it. Nowhere in there does it say it. You'll see it in the same with Job. He doesn't force these things with Job. And the same with Jesus' temptations. He doesn't force Jesus to do these things. All he can do is begin to plant things in your mind, give you thoughts, and that's why it's so crucial for us to know that this is a battle of the mind, not a physical battle. Because what he's trying to do is to get you to think differently from God's truth, and once he begins to get you to do that, you're going to choose to sin on your own. 
And it was that moment he got inside Eve's head that she was convinced. And then it says, the fruit looks so fresh and delicious and it would make her wise. So she ate some of the fruit and gave some to her husband. It was that moment that she felt like God might be holding out on me. He's telling me the truth, I think. So I'm going to choose to sin. Satan can't physically make you sin. But he can push you towards it. He can plant some things. And he's very, very cheap in how he does it because I think to me, the other thing we don't always realize is Satan's going to go at you to what you deal with. So let me unpack that. You are probably not going to be hit in the head with, say, like smoking. That's something you don't struggle with. You think it's nasty. You don't want anything to do with. It's probably not going to be something he's going to try to tempt you with. But maybe you struggle with lust and so that's the avenue he's going to go maybe you struggle with um how you view yourself so he's going to go down that avenue and you don't nobody wants you 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 don't look the way you're supposed to and on and on so i'm going to go that avenue satan is going to figure out what you struggle with and that's where he's going to tempt you at you ever wonder why it's like some things people don't ever struggle with because they don't have an issue with it it's not hard for them to not do that. Like it, you know, for me, it's like there's certain things Satan's going to tempt me with because he knows that I'm susceptible to them because it's something that I've struggled with. He's probably not going to tempt me with something I've never struggled with because I probably have no interest in it. And it doesn't seem to be something I battle. He's not going to go to Eve, and especially at this point, there's not any other people, but it's like he's not going to go to Eve and say, why don't you go check out another guy instead of Adam? Why don't you go try to sleep with him because that would be a better, better route for you. It's like he's going to go to the thing that she's going to feel susceptible to and that's the one thing he's trying to get her to see that God's holding out on her. And so know as you're navigating that he's going to twist the truth, he's going to make you experience this FOMO or feel like God's holding out on you and he's going to go at you where it hurts the most. Because if he doesn't, you're probably going to battle him and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go against God like that. I'm not going to go down that path because I know what it leads to. It's going to be those things you go, well, I've kind of been down there before or I've thought of it before or I, I, I may have done it before. And so now if he just keeps pushing that button, I might go down it again. And I think the final thing we see real quickly is this last second to last sentence at that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness i think shame is a weapon in the enemy's arsenal if he can make you feel shameful he's accomplishing what he set out to do because now if you look in um, the new testament you see what jesus did on the cross it says there is now, there is therefore now no condemnation. There's no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has forgiven you. God has given you freedom. And so you don't have to worry about, yes, there's a balance of being broken over your sin and realizing that you went against God and it, it hurts, but there's not shame that you need to carry in your life anymore. And the more Satan can beat you down and make you feel shameful, the more he is doing what he set out to do. 
Because if I make you feel shameful, you're just going to keep going to things to try to find relief. You're not going to have a good view of yourself. And so then I'm setting you out to slowly get you to drift away from God. So you have to be careful because this battle we're in is for your heart. And the enemy is setting out to try to make you feel shameful, to try to make you feel like God's holding out on you, trying to make you feel like I can twist God's truth to make you believe it, and that I'm going to hit you where it hurts. And if I can do that, then you're going to sin. And if I can make you feel shameful, then I feel good. Like we don't like to give him a lot of credit, but he's tricky. And he's setting out to destroy you. And we don't often look at that side of the story because we're so focused on God, which we should be. But you have to know in the back of your mind, there's somebody out there, the enemy, who is trying to get you to turn your back on God and go with the world. And we need to be on alert for the trickery, the deception that he is trying to put in our lives so that we totally twist the truth and start living in a lie. I think of, as I close, I think of kind of one of the first times uh, that I was offered um, a cigarette when when I started smoking when I was a sophomore in high school. And it was very interesting as I was starting to think about that this week because I go, why did he pick that out of all things? I never really smoked before that, never even picked anything up before that, but I was... um, in band at the time, and there was a lot of people in band when I was in band that did it as their sport because we didn't get drug tested, and so they could still count it as a sport, but then do all the stuff they wanted, smoke, um, do all that kind of drugs, whatever, and so then they would never get tested. And I think it might have might have changed by now that they do t- test, but that time they didn't. And so he comes up to me at, at one of the um, performances, I think it was jazz band I was in at one of the basketball games, and, and asked me, I wanted to go smoke a cigarette. It's like, that had never crossed really my mind before. And it's crazy to me because if you look at my story, I was a sophomore in high school, just, I think just turned 16 or even might have still been 15. Um, And that was the first thing that I was offered. And for the next probably eight years of my life, I battled that. All because of this first deception that somebody comes along and they say, hey, why, why don't you want, you want to go out with me? You want to smoke a cigarette? And it's like, okay, maybe God is holding something out. There can't be anything wrong with this. It's just a one-time thing. But he knew, the enemy knew that this was something he could hook me with, something he could use to take over my life, something he could use to kind of help me get distracted from this relationship with God. So I'm going to give it to him and I'm going to make him have to dig himself out as he tries to battle this for the next however many years of his life. And it's like some of you might sit there and you go, well, I, somebody did that to me. I'd be like, heck no, I'm not going to do that. But maybe each of you have a moment in your life where somebody came along or there was a thought in your head that was planted there and then all of a sudden you found yourself battling something for Maybe it was only a year. Maybe it was five years. Maybe it was ten years. He's going to come along and find something that you're susceptible to. He wants to make you fall because the more I can engulf you in that sin, the less you're putting your eyes on Jesus and the more you're putting your eyes on yourself. 
be on alert for this enemy that's out to destroy us because he wants you to fall. And I cannot say enough that the times that we're not totally pursuing Jesus and our focus is here tends to be the times that he goes after us because we're a little distracted or we're not on guard. So constantly be taking thoughts captive, keeping your mind open, and knowing God's truth because when you can decipher the truth from the lies, you're in a really good spot. And Satan has no power over us. When we're in Christ, he has no power over us. So use the truth, use your relationship with God to make the enemy get out of your life and follow Jesus. Because even if it looks good, even if the fruit looks delicious and fresh, it's going to leave you unsatisfied. And we know that on this side. And so use that as motivation to not keep diving into sin because the enemy's trying to get you to.